Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the Eugenic, we're having a chat about the history of the Sicilian Mafia, an organised crime group that has grown from humble origins on the Italian island of Sicily to become the most famous and well-known crime syndicate in the world today as it expanded across the globe. The story of the Mafia is really, really interesting. Most listeners will obviously know a little bit about the Mafia, what their general deal is, but its origins are absolutely fascinating and have a few terrific surprises along the way as well. And today we're going to get across, uh, well, as much of it as we can cram into an episode, um, uh, what the Mafia was back then, what it is today in broad terms, and and of course, how it got there, the journey it took, its, its history. Now, there is just so much to talk about on this topic that we're not going to go into a huge amount of detail here. This is more of a general overview that will hopefully explain how, uh, well, how the British seeking to secure their Mediterranean shipping lines eventually led to the creation of the Mafia, which then in turn led to Marlon Brando's legendary performance in the 1972 cinematic masterpiece, The Godfather. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, to setting up that causal link of dominoes and watching them all fall one by one. Anyway, not only has the Mafia had a huge impact on real-world affairs, obviously, politics, uh, economics, society in general in the places that it's operated, uh, particularly Italy, obviously, and, and the northeastern US, it's also had a huge cultural impact as well. Um, and, and we're going to talk about this to better understand all this and more today we're going to get across the origins of the mafia its development its growth its eventual spread across the globe however before we begin um a bit of a disclaimer here due to uh due to the the subject matter today we're talking about a shady criminal organization it it is sometimes difficult to uh to get completely verif- verifiable information i guess you can put it um i've done my best but but if at any point I sound vague or unsure, or if I'm if I'm not providing details, it's usually because we just don't have those details. The mafia is not exactly forthcoming with information. The whole deal of the mafia is their whole business model is predicated on people not knowing what they do or how they do it. Generally speaking, so uh, sometimes it is tough to nail down certain details but as i've said i've done my best i've generally kept away from conjecture and spec and speculation hopefully today we're on reasonably firm ground anyway thanks go to alert listener mia sacco who wrote in for wrote in to ask for a history of the sicilian mafia so thanks very much mia cheers for getting in touch and thanks for listening to this tin pot history podcast but a lot to get across today as ever so let's get to it here but before we get into the history of the mafia. Let's talk about what the mafia actually is so we properly understand what we're talking about here. Because the term mafia is actually a lot more complicated than you might think. It has layers of meaning depending on how specifically you're getting into uh, to its origins and and I guess the context in which it's it's used changes the meaning of the word a little bit. Let's start from the broadest possible meaning and then we'll get right down to its actual beginnings as a term, uh, which will set us up nicely to begin this week's stories. So anyway, these days you'll often hear the word mafia used to refer to any large regimented criminal organization all around the world, 
right? So large organized crime gangs that are into all sorts of stuff, drug smuggling, protection rackets, political corruption, match fixing, gambling, prostitution, money laundering, all the way up to paid murder in some instances. These are all activities uh, that uh, that mafias, I guess, the various organized crime groups around the world that they have, uh, they get involved with. Um, while there is probably a particular type of mafia that you think about when you hear the word um, uh, from from the get go, and that's the type of mafia we're going to be talking about today, the Italian, the, the the Sicilian mafia. The word mafia is also used to talk about crime groups in many different global regions. There's the Japanese mafia, the Russian mafia, the Chinese mafia, etc., etc. You might use their proper names, the Yakuza or the Bratva or the Triads, respectively, but you'll 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 still be understood if you say Japanese mafia instead of Yakuza. However, if you say mafia without any national prefix, it generally refers to a criminal organisation with its roots in Italy. This is the the, the classic uh, idea or, or concept of, of, of the mafia. You know, maybe maybe the organisation is operational in the US or maybe it's operational in other places around the world, Australia even, or, or in fact in Italy, whatever. The mafia in and of itself tends to be a reference to a, cr- a criminal enterprise that either has historical links to or in fact is Italian. And we'll get across all of this in due course, but believe it or not, the term actually goes deeper than that. While there is obviously uh, organised crime all across Italy, mainly, well, mainly the south, it's it's mainly concentrated in the su- in the southern regions of, of the country. There's the uh, the Andrangheta from Calabria. There's the Camorra from from Campania. There's there's lots of other crime org- organisations, but the the term mafia, right, has has become a byword for for all of these groups and more. It, it, it's become a byword for organised crime. Other Italian criminal organisations have been absorbed into this term. But the, the origin, the actual origin of the term refers to organised crime from the island of Sicily, the, uh, the island to the south of the Italian peninsula that looks like it's being kicked by Italy's boot. This is the region with which this term is most closely and specifically associated, but it, is, it has become, as I say, a byword, right? Like, like how you might ask someone for an aspirin if uh, if you've got a headache, right? That the, the person you're asking understands that you don't specifically need a brand name aspirin. You you just want a painkiller because your head hurts. The most famous specific type of the thing has become synonymous with the category of thing itself. When we say mafia, we, we refer to organised crime on some level, but this term comes from specifically organised crime in Sicily. So at its most specific, and for the purposes of today's episode, the mafia refers to organised crime gangs that either operate in or originate from southern Italy and specifically Sicily. And this is because the reason this term has spread uh, to, to the popularity, the usage that it has today, is because of the eventual spread of the power and the influence of the Sicilian mafia in particular, and of course, its cultural impact as well through portrayals in popular media. The Sicilian mafia is easily the most famous of all the regional Italian crime factions. Which I which I find quite amusing because the Sicilian mafia has given rise to this term that they don't even use to describe themselves. They don't they don't refer to themselves as the mafia. They call their organization Cosa Nostra, which means our thing. The term mafia was popularized by the media, not by gangsters, not by the actual criminal organizations themselves, who were, well, no surprises here, 
are actually very secretive about everything from their activities and, and dealings to their very existence. So they're not really too worried about, you know, branding issues. As for the etymology of the word mafia, it, it's thought to come from the, uh, the, the Sicilian word mafiosu, which can be roughly translated as swagger or, or bravado. The Italian word mafioso obviously is very closely linked to that. But the origin of the word may, may go back a lot further than that, uh, back to when Sicily was under Islamic control, if you'll believe it. There are, there are some Arabic words that might be behind the term mafia, um, mafi someone who has paid their jizya, a, a yearly tax that he's levied on non-Muslims who live in Islamic lands. Um, Ma'afia, which was an Arab tribe that was in charge of Palermo at one point, which is a, a major city in Sicily. So it's very interesting indeed. We we don't know for, for sure where the term comes from. Uh, but as you can see, there's a, there's a lot of layers of depth, even just when it comes to the name of this organization, never mind its history, which is what we're about to uh, about to get into now. Now that we're across the original specific meaning of the term mafia, meaning, of course, the organized crime faction from Sicily that refers to itself as the Cosa Nostra. Now it is time to actually begin its story. So let's get to it. We're going all the way back here. We're going all the way back to... The early 19th century, over 200 years, in fact, we are a long way away from fedoras and tommy guns and, and the stereotypical idea of a, of a mafia gangster on the streets of New York. We're going back to the first couple of decades of the 1800s because it's here that the mafia has its true origins in Sicily. Some other organisations, the Andrigheta, for instance, uh, the ones I mentioned before, they go back even further. But in Italy, the emergence of the Cosa Nostra, the mafia we're talking about, is linked to Sicily's defeudalization. At the beginning of the 19th century, Sicilian nobility owned essentially all the land on the island. There were only around 2,000 different Sicilian landowners in total. And under Sicilian feudalism, which, as I say, lasted a long time, all the way into the 19th century, the land nobility kept private armies and they oversaw their own courts to enforce their laws. Essentially, manorialism, the, the, the hallmark of medieval societies like France and England during, the middle, during the, the middle Ages. However, as Sicily began to modernize, as capitalism began to supplant feudalism on the island, as, as Sicily's political landscape shifted enormously, this all changed. And what was it, I hear you ask, what possibly could have brought about such a colossal shift in the political landscape of Sicily in the early 19th century? Well, I'm glad you asked, and I wonder if you can perhaps guess. What happened in the early 19th century to bring about such enormous change to political landscapes, not just in Sicily, but across all of Europe? What happened, or should I say, who happened? Yes, once again, we can thank Napoleon. Episodes 211, 212, get across them. Napoleon is indirectly responsible for the emergence of the mafia and therefore also as a consequence, Marlon Brando declining his 1973 Oscar for Best Actor. While fighting Napoleon, the British staged a military intervention in Sicily as a way to ensure Mediterranean shipping routes remained open to them. They were concerned about French influence in the Mediterranean, and so they occupied Sicily, they built fortresses, and they disassembled the traditional political power structure of the island. And it was this that ultimately brought about the end of Sicilian feudalism. In the coming decades, feudal landowners sold off much of their lands piece by piece, 
And then in 1860, Sicily was annexed by the Kingdom of Italy, which resulted in even more land ending up in the hands of ordinary Sicilians as public, common and church land was sold off along with the former baronial lands. Remember how I said there were around 2,000 landowners in Sicily at the beginning of the 19th century? Just over six decades later, by the time we get to the 1860s, 1870s, there were 20,000, 10 times as many. But this gave rise to a whole new type of problem, law enforcement. In feudal Sicily, law enforcement had been the purview of the landed nobility. But now, right, these nobles don't have the land or the resources or the political clout to continue doing this. They released their private armies from service. They instead focused on looking after their own lands, removing themselves from their responsibilities in forces of manorial law. So you see where this is going, don't you? Because there are more issues than ever in Sicily because of this defeudalization process. There are all these new landowners that all had all sorts of exciting new land disputes with each other that needed resolving. There was rising food prices that led to petty crime, especially as former feudal commons were no longer available for, for poor peasants to grow their own food. Um, there was no organised police force across most of the island, right? And then on top of that, surprise, surprise, all of a sudden, there's a huge rise in banditry across Sicily. There are bandits that are roving around the island, particularly towards the western side, causing all sorts of trouble wherever they went. They'd ravaged local farmers, people raising cattle or growing oranges and lemons, stealing and looting with impunity. What's going on here? Where, where did all these bandits come from? Well, think about it. The feudal barons have just released thousands of bored young men from paid service in private armies. What do you think is going to happen? Now, interestingly, the solution to this banditry, to these bored young men that have lived a life of paid violence and are not in any hurry to, to, to stop doing so, the solution to this was exactly the same as what caused the problem in the first place, a bunch of bored young men with violent tendencies and nothing better to do. Because there was a lack of, of, of effective law enforcement, farmers and property owners started to hire these bored young men to go after other bored young men, the bandits. So it's just two sides of the same coin here, really. But do you see what's happening here? Do you see? Just, just think about the story that we're trying to tell and, and think about the setup here with land disputes and, and crime on the rise with new landowners looking to protect their property from bandits with no real reliable form or source of law enforcement across Sicily, people turned to uh, extra-legal methods to solve their problems. When bandits would strike, a so-called company at arms would be formed to hunt them down, and if they found them, they would force them to return whatever was stolen and pay recompense for their misdeeds. Soon enough, companies at arms that were particularly skilled in tracking down bandits, retrieving stolen property and leveraging compensation, they were in high demand. They would be hired readily in the, in the event of a bandit attack, and they made very good money hunting down the bandits and the, and, and the stolen property. But here's the thing. We've already established these companies were cut from exactly the same cloth as the bandits themselves, just young men unafraid to use violence to achieve their ends. And so it wasn't long before these companies were working in conjunction with the bandits, organising attacks together. 
The bandits would attack, the companies would be hired, the property would be returned, and the fee for the company's service retained. This would uh, this would this ended up with a situation kind of like the one you would get if you offered firefighters performance pay. They would be actively incentivized to come and set fire to your house. But it is with this business model that the Sicilian Mafia has its origins, a protection racket for small landowners and farmers who relied on the extra legal support of these companies at arms to protect their property, to protect their property from a problem that the companies at arms actually had a hand in causing. And this meant that the men that composed these companies at arms became very wealthy and very powerful. They were respected and feared for their violence. People knew that if they didn't pay them for protection from bandits, they were buggered. And these men became known as mafiosi. And the average individual mafioso was seen as a man of respect and honour, someone you absolutely could not afford to cross due to the power he had as an extra-legal enforcer. And it all went back to the defeudalization of Sicily, the release of all of these private armies, and the fact that there are all these young blokes roving around just looking for something to get themselves into. But due to the power that these mafiosi had, and uh, due to the near-total lack of legal accountability that they faced for their actions, it wasn't long before these mafiosi spread out beyond protection and, and racketeering into other criminal enterprises. Smuggling, robberies, kidnapping, counterfeiting, political corruption, voter intimidation, they were getting themselves involved in a little bit of everything. And on top of this, the, uh, these emerging mafiosi were able to improve their positions even further because of the ongoing economic situation in Sicily and uh, what was happening to it as it began to get involved in, in capitalism, as it became more integrated into the European economy, the Sicilian economy began to boom. A lot of new money was pouring into, uh, into the region. Uh, which the mafiosi were very quick to get in on. In particular, there was a huge demand for citrus products like oranges and lemons after their widespread adoption in European navies to fight scurvy, episode 62, get across it. And additionally, Sicily was rich in sulfur, another very valuable export good. Now, these products were relatively easy to steal. And so mafiosi were, once again, paid for protection. And if they weren't paid, if people didn't pay them for, uh, for the, the protection from thieves and bandits, um, the mafiosi would usually facilitate the theft and banditry of the products instead. So you bug it either way. You either lose out by paying or you lose out by being robbed. And once again, this is a business model that has treated the mafia very well indeed over the years. Across the back half of the 19th century, Sicily was well known for having an organised group of men who were a rule unto themselves, all adhering to a strict code of silence known as omerta, as they spurned any and all attempts to have them obey the law. They were wealthy, they were powerful, they were good at what they did, and they seemed untouchable. When cops came in to try to sort them out, they had a lot of difficulty in doing so, not just because mafiosi would remain tight-lipped about their activities and the activities of others, but also because a broad section of the common folk in Sicily were actually on their side. They didn't want to see the mafiosi punished by the law. That didn't mean they'd wasted the money they'd paid these mafiosi for protection. And not only that, because of the political corruption and the voter intimidation that these mafiosi were involved in, 
they also made sure that they had friends in high places. They helped to get sympathetic politicians elected. They lined the pockets of lawmakers who they knew were going to look after them. So apart from the cops who were coming, who, who were going after them so hard, no one wanted to see these mafiosi get in trouble. The common folk didn't as they relied upon them for protection. And the political elite didn't either because they were having their pockets lined by them. So as we move into the 20th century, the mafia is fully entrenched in Sicily. They are part of the fabric of Sicilian life, society, politics, economics, and culture. There were attempts here and there to bring them to heel, but again, between popular support and political protection, these didn't really come to much until, that is, the rise of a certain fascist dictator who had no intention of letting the Sicilians undermine the power of his new regime. From 1925 onwards, Italian dictator Benito Mussolini actively and willfully campaigned to destroy the mafia, and not just the mafia in Sicily, but throughout all of southern Italy. But I'll be honest, mainly in Sicily because of an incident that took place in 1924 when Mussolini visited the island. He was received by a local mayor, who you won't be surprised to learn was also a mafia boss. Uh, This bloke's name was Francesco Cuccia, and he was confused by the fact that Mussolini had arrived with a police escort in tow. He brought these cops everywhere with him. Cuccia asked Mussolini, he said, why have you brought these cops, mate? You don't need any protection while you're with me. You're under my protection while you're visiting here. But Mussolini, he he rebuked Cuccia. He said, absolutely not, mate. He kept his cops with him, a studied insult to a local mob boss like this. And in response, Cuccia mobilized his mafiosi to punish Mussolini. How, you might wonder? Well, not through anything as barbaric or uncivilized as violence or murder, no, no. Cuccia put out the word that no one was to attend an upcoming speech that Mussolini was scheduled to deliver, and people obeyed this order, which completely humiliated Mussolini and ignited a furious hatred within him of the Mafia. From 1925 onwards, Mussolini went after the mafia in Sicily like you would not believe. Uh, Once he'd seized power properly in 1925, he sent a host of cops and other lawmen into Sicily, and they went to town on the mafiosi. Beforehand, all these efforts had been undercut by the political protection that mafia bosses had enjoyed. It meant that law enforcement efforts were half-hearted at best, but Mussolini changed all that. He wasn't afraid to fight dirty. Suspected mafiosi were forced to break the code of silence through the kidnapping of their families, the seizure of their land, and even the destruction of their property. There are stories of herds of cattle being slaughtered in public just to get mafiosi to talk. And that's on top of them, the mafiosi themselves, being beaten black and blue, tortured until they confessed. Mussolini was not mucking about. It was pretty brutal and also... It was pretty effective. It worked, mostly. Mussolini didn't destroy the mafia, as he claimed to have done, far from it, but he certainly enormously weakened its position in Sicily. Mafiosi were imprisoned, they were exiled, and many others fled. Where were they exiled to, you may wonder? Where did they flee? Well, we'll we'll come back to that in a little bit, but for now, let's, let's stick around in Italy. 
But eventually, of course, Mussolini was defeated in the Second World War, and as part of that, Sicily was plunged into chaos. Allied forces invaded Sicily in 1943, throwing the island into disorder. Crime rose massively once again, as the government there was essentially overthrown by the Allies. And uh, with Mussolini's eventual defeat, the mafia came back out of the woodwork. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about low-level enforcers getting up to their old tricks either. No, here, after the war, as the, the Western allies restructured Italy and Sicily's p- political landscape once again, these previously disempowered mafia bosses came out and presented themselves to the allies as a new generation of political leaders. They very cleverly sold themselves to the Allies as the oppressed political enemies of Mussolini, which I suppose we have to admit was technically true. And this made them very easy picks for political officers in the new post-fascist regime. The mafia was back, large and in charge, bigger and better than ever. And this time they organized themselves like never before. They bought up a huge amount of land in the years after the war, forcing large landowners to sell up through violence and intimidation, and they made an absolute pile of money in the post-war reconstruction efforts. How? Well, they'd been installed as political leaders by the Allies, right? And they were now in charge of rebuilding the cities and the towns that had been destroyed by the fighting. And to do this, they got, they got access to a lot of public money to spend on these rebuilding projects. And so they gave these lucrative government building contracts to themselves, essentially, through a network of mafia fronts. The construction industry treated the mafia very well indeed, as they embezzled public funds in the name of the reconstruction effort, building cheap, substandard structures and pocketing the leftover money. And so after the Second World War, the Mafia had a firmer grip on Sicily than ever before. And it only got better for them into the 1950s with the rise of the international drug trade, something the Mafia was very quick to get themselves into. And this was usually done through a network of Mafia-controlled restaurants, which served as fronts for smuggling operations to distribute distribute things like heroin, not just through Sicily, but, but around the world, which, of course, we'll come to, don't worry. But the back half of the 20th century also saw wars between different mafia factions or families in in Sicily as they competed for control of the Sicilian underworld and continued to fight for a larger slice of the pie. And additionally, this wasn't the only setback that the mafia suffered during this time. There was conflict between these families and, and the Italian government. In the late 1980s, hundreds of mafiosi were put on trial and, and convicted after one of them, one mafioso, Tommaso Busetta, who broke omerta. He broke the code of silence. He became a government informant after being arrested and he sold out a lot of his former colleagues. Now, the Sicilian Mafia, as you can imagine, did not take kindly to this betrayal, nor to the subsequent arrests and convictions that came after it. And they went on a murder spree. They murdered judges and politicians. They murdered the relatives of anyone who turned their coats and became informants. And in doing so, lost a lot of goodwill amongst as weird as this sounds, amongst the common people of Sicily, who had, as I say, up until this point, had a pretty favourable opinion of the Mafia. Anyway, the long and the short of the ongoing conflict between the Mafia and the Italian government was that the government ended up getting the upper hand. The Sicilian Mafia was greatly weakened by the efforts of the government, even with their campaign of reprisals. And 
You'll notice here that I've started, I've reverted back to saying the Sicilian mafia for the last little bit, because I, I want to be specific here and draw a distinction between the, the Cosa Nostra in, in Sicily and other organized crime groups in the late in the late 20th century, because the Cosa Nostra, the Sicilian mafia, it hasn't fared well. Even today, its bosses are behind bars in Italy. Its activities continue to be hampered. It's a long way away from its heyday. But on the other hand, other Italian mafia groups like the Andrangheta in Calabria, they're doing very well for themselves indeed. The Andrangheta are estimated to control 80% of Europe's cocaine supply, for instance. And we all know how much the Euros enjoy the old nose beers during a night out at the club. So today, the mafia, not the Sicilian mafia specifically, not the Cosa Nostra, but the, the mafia in the sense of organised crime groups in Italy, the mafia do very well for themselves across different criminal industries. Uh, as far north as Campania in cities like Naples, the mafia are still very heavily involved in Italian politics, economics and society. It was only a few years ago that the, uh, the Camorra crime syndicate were behind a garbage crisis in Naples. Um, by by which I mean a uh, a crisis that involved garbage, not not a not a crisis that was of particularly poor quality. Um, the the illegal disposal of toxic industrial waste by the Camorra has resulted in the so-called Triangle of Death in Campania, the largest illegal waste dump in Europe. And you can still read stories about how the streets of cities like Naples are overrun with garbage because. The mafia controls the garbage disposal services, and when politicians don't give the mafia what they want, the mafia simply orders a halt to garbage collection. So the garbage piles up in the streets, and people get angry with, not the mafia, but the politicians, who aren't doing anything about the city being deluged in filth. So the mafia hold the politicians hostage, using these garbage-lined streets until they relent and give the mafia what they want, and that's happening today. In the 2020s, the mafia are still hugely involved in Italian affairs, from drug trafficking to money laundering, from extortion and corruption, all the way, again, all the way up to murder. There are still tens of thousands of mafiosi that are very active across Italy, and thousands of them are still found in the place most famously associated with the mafia, the island of Sicily. But the full story of the Sicilian Mafia goes a lot further than Sicily itself. And to give you the full picture of this organisation and its influence, to understand why it has become the most famous and culturally dominant criminal organisation of the modern age, we have to zoom out, move away from Sicily and across the Atlantic to the United States of America. Remember a little earlier when I was talking about the fascist reprisals against the mafia and those who left or were exiled? There was a huge exodus of Sicilians in the early 20th, early 20th century, and not, and not just because of Mussolini, a lot left because of him, but there, there was wide-scale emigration from Sicily that took place both before and after this. But Mussolini certainly had a lot to do with what we're about to talk about here. Because where did these Sicilians go? Well, they went all around the world. They went throughout Europe, they went to South America, even as far away as Australia. But most notably for our story, they travelled to the US. And those who had been involved in the Cosa Nostra back in Sicily, they brought their customs, their traditions, and their very healthy disrespect for the rule of law along with them. The history of the Mafia in the US goes back to the late 19th century, as mafiosi from southern Italy arrived and continued to treat lawful behaviour as an opt-in experience in America, just as they had back in Italy. 
Most notably, Italian arrivals in New York City would settle in particular neighbourhoods like Little Italy in Manhattan, enclaves that were overwhelmingly inhabited by Italians. Now, this wasn't just New York. There were mafiosi and other busy port towns like New Orleans, for instance, as well. But the most important place the mafia went on to establish itself in the US was initially New York City. And it uh, wasn't all Sicilians either, it's probably worth mentioning. Um, One of the first famous mafia bosses in New York City was named, get ready for this one, he was named Paul Kelly from Little Italy Big Things Grow, hey? To her door, to remind her she's behind on her protection money. Deeper water, which is where you'll be sleeping with the fishes. I can keep going, don't you worry. When will you get that money that you're laundering back to me? Before too long. Uh, from St. Kilda to King's Cross. No, okay. Probably flew too close to the sun with that one. Anyway, this bloke, this uh, this Paul Kelly, he wasn't a uh, he wasn't a famous Australian singer songwriter. He was uh, he was the son of Italian immigrants from uh, not from Sicily, from the Basilicata region. Uh, he was born Paolo Antonio Vacciarelli, and he established the notorious Five Points Gang in the 1890s amongst whose members was the famous Al Capone, future mafia boss of the Chicago outfit. But there was also the Neapolitan Camorra, who gained a strong foothold in the city. Um, There were a bunch of different Italian gangs that fought with Irish gangs and Jewish gangs and nativist American gangs, all for control of the city's underworld. But as we move to the 20th century, and especially with Mussolini's crackdown on the Sicilian mafia, it was more than any other group, the Sicilians who came to dominate New York's and later the US's crime syndicates. More and more Sicilians were emigrating across the Atlantic, and they quickly moved to take control of the Italian enclaves throughout New York, places like Little Italy, transplanting their protection rackets, their gambling and prostitution rings, their corruption and extortion operations, along with everything else that had done so well for them back in Sicily. They transplanted them right over to the US and into New York City. However, there was something else that took place across the United States at this time that gave the newly established American branch of the Cosa Nostra a chance to flourish like never before, the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution, the prohibition of alcohol throughout the US from 1919 onwards. Even though the US banned booze, there was still a huge demand for it as people wanted to get on the source, come hell or high water, and they weren't going to let those snivelling politicians in Washington prevent them from quenching their hard-earned thirst with a big cold beer. So here's the situation. You have a political climate in which common folk are actively looking for extra-legal solutions to their problems, their problems being the aforementioned hard-earned thirst, mate. Does this sound familiar? Because if there's one organisation that specialises in extra-legal solutions, it is, as we have firmly established, the Cosa Nostra. The Sicilian mafiosi in the US jumped at the chance to start smuggling booze under the radar of prohibition by any and all means possible, very, very adroitly sniffing out huge profits to be made. And like back in Sicily, their activities had the tacit support of not just regular people wanting to crack open a cold one with the boys, but also politicians who opposed prohibition. And this time, if you'll believe it, cops who also wanted to get on the turps. 
It was the perfect atmosphere for the Mafia to do its best work. And throughout the Prohibition era, the Mafia not only made huge piles of cash, but also amassed a huge amount of political influence and capital as they bootleg booze across the US. A tacit toleration of their smuggling and other illegal activities in support of it meant that the Mafia in the US was having the time of its life. They illegally imported booze from overseas using various fronts. They had sophisticated transportation networks across the country, selling alcohol at ridiculous prices because there was, of course, still a huge market for it. And with this came a huge number of other new growth areas for the mafia. People transporting and selling illegal booze needed protection from the authorities, of course. Agro-cops needed to be bribed or intimidated. There was no shortage of dirty deeds that needed doing. And the money just rolled in. The US government had a bugger of a time enforcing prohibition in the first place, so you, you weren't likely to get caught. The available profits far outweighed the risks, and thousands and thousands of Italian immigrants joined the mafia, hoping for a taste of the money on offer, and at the top of this heap were the Sicilians. For going on a hundred years, the Sicilians had been honing their craft, Protection, racketeering, extortion, bribery, corruption, and everything else. And the Prohibition era was the perfect time for them to put their experience to use. In fact, the greatest enemies that most crime families faced in the US during this time was not, was not law enforcement. It was other crime families who would go after each other as they sought to dominate the illegal alcohol trade. They'd torch warehouses and distribution centres. They'd hijack truckloads and shipments of booze. They'd even just murder each other over the business. And of course, even this ended with more profits for everyone involved as it resulted in higher protection fees being brought in. We've, 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 never, we've never quite cracked the case on perpetual motion, but the mafia have come very close with a self-perpetuating economic model where they control supply and create demand through protection and racketeering. Prohibition came to an effective end in 1933, and by this stage, the American mafia had established itself extremely strongly throughout the entire country. From coast to coast, the mafia had a lot of fingers in a lot of pies, but nowhere were there more fingers, or was there more pie for that matter, than in New York City. The so-called five families in New York dominated the city, and in 1931 they came together to establish an overarching organisation known as the Commission. The Commission was, or I actually should say is, it is still around today, it is the, um, hmm, how, how do you describe the Commission? The Commission is the governing body, I guess, of the US Mafia, for want of a better term. In the same way that soccer has FIFA and chess has FIDE, um, organized crime across the US has the Commission. Uh, this is where the Mafia bosses from across the US come together to work out the rules, negotiate issues, air grievances, fix problems and resolve disputes. It's just, yeah, a governing body. And uh, while the US Mafia is made up of all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds, it is dominated to this day by Italian-Americans. And uh, there is one specific group of Italian-Americans that have the biggest amount of sway at the highest level of organisations like the various crime families and the commission, Sicilians. 
The commission is based on the traditional regimented structure of the Sicilian Mafia from long ago. The Sicilian dominance of organised crime in the US is reflected by the very structure of the organisations and syndicates and families that make up the Mafia. While it does incorporate, as I say, Italian-Americans of all kinds and even non-Italians, the US Mafia is generally considered to have been founded as an offshoot of the Sicilian Mafia, and it retains very strong cultural and generational links to Sicily even today. Everything from organisational chain of command structures to initiation rites, and of course the ever-present omerta, the Code of Silence, all of this, it still harks back to the Sicilian heritage of the organisation. So strong is the influence that the Sicilians had on the development of organised crime in the United States. The US government has done what it can to fight the Mafia with mixed results. The Mafia are rich and powerful and have very many legitimate business interests, which make the illegitimate ones all the harder to target. Also, it's, it's worth noting that the US government has also worked with the Mafia on several occasions, not just against them, uh, such, as when they, such as when they were trying to assassinate Fidel Castro, episode 144, get across it. However, in 1970, the US passed the RICO Act, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, R-I-C-O, RICO, which empowered law enforcement to tackle organized crime like never before. But they've still never managed to stamp it out. And the five families are still overseeing New York. The Chicago outfit is still live and kicking from coast to coast in the US. The mafia is still alive and well. The mafia, with its Sicilian origins, has maintained its dominant position in the United States criminal underworld and is still working in all the areas you'd expect, from protection rackets to drug smuggling to bribery and corruption, all the hits. But that's not the only area that it dominates. The mafia is also a dominant force in popular culture as well. Of course, who doesn't love a good gangster flick? From critically acclaimed films like The Godfather to beloved TV shows like The Sopranos to seminal video game series like Grand Theft Auto, the mafia continues to capture the imagination of popular media. We love blood and guts and horrible murder. Organised crime is fascinating to us, and much of the stories that emerge from the world of the mafia are sensational in nature. They're almost unbelievable. Very much like stories from another type of criminal activity, piracy. These are stories that involve engaging, morally ambiguous characters put in complex situations that are so far removed from our everyday lives. So it's little, it's little wonder, really, that we find the mafia and gangsters more broadly so engrossing, quite aside from all the, you know, extortion and robberies and murder. It does make for some Terrific storytelling. So in both the real world and the world of fiction, it is very clear to see the immense impact and influence that the mafia has had on the modern world. And it's another thing that we can add to the list, along with the spread of the metric system, the development of canned food, the creation of San Marino, the popularization of the bicorn hat. We can also thank Napoleon for the 1990 cinematic classic, Goodfellas. But that's it. 
That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the history of the Sicilian Mafia. But blah, 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 quick, 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 before you uh, before you jump away, before you skip over the boring housekeeping stuff, I know a lot of people do that, uh, but please, just, just one time, please don't do it because there's something really, really important I want to talk to uh, listeners about and I want as many listeners as possible to uh, to hear this because... I was uh, I was going to keep this as a surprise, as as a big announcement that I was going to make some point, at some point later on down the track when it was finished and and ready to go. But uh, I've realised that I actually need a little bit of help in getting it to that point. I have written, I would estimate, about sixty percent of a half-assed history book, um, and I'm getting to a point now where I. Uh, don't really know, don't really know what to do with it. Um, obviously, you know, once it's finished, I would uh, I would like it to be published. But there are some conversations I've had with friends who have said that I should actually start to try to make a move on 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 publishing and 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 you know maybe getting a, a book deal or something like that before the manuscript is even finished. Which I didn't realize was maybe how it worked. I just sort of imagined I would, I don't know, go to Officeworks and 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 print out the the hundreds of pages and then just. I don't know, knock on the door of like text publishing or something. I don't know how these things work. And that's why I need you. Any listener or or listeners who are out there that have um, knowledge of or connections in the publishing industry, uh, if you know or if you are a literary agent, if you work in 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 publishing, if you work with books or in, in if basically if you have any knowledge, capacity, or expertise in this area, I would love to hear from you. You can uh, you can get in touch via the website halfhourshistory.net. There's a contact form there, or just email me directly halfhourshistory at gmail.com. Um, very very keen to get this thing on the road, uh, making good progress on the book. Uh, hope, hopefully we'll have it finished as in like have it written by the end of the year. Um, I don't know how long it takes for things to be published and printed and on shelves, but I'm, I'm ready to go with this. So again, if you have any contacts, any knowledge, any, any expertise or any, even just any advice, uh, as to how to, to get a book published, please do, please, please, please do get in touch. Um, it would, it would be fantastic. Anyway, um, all the other boring housekeeping stuff as usual, halfhouseissue.net. Contact form, Spotify, iTunes, leave a review, merch store, Patreon, uh, friends, enemies, uh, people about whom you feel ambivalent. Thanks once again to Alert Listener Mia Sacco for the suggestion. Please do get in touch if you've got a topic suggestion of your own uh, or some feedback or especially a, a contact in the publishing industry. I would love to hear from you, but that's going to do it for this week. Uh, leaving you with, of course, a question posed on Reddit. This one comes to us from Redditor Amy Bag, who asks... How long will it take for Little Italy to grow into a regular full-sized Italy? 